Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Bree Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. All of the links to our show are in the show notes. Today, we will be continuing The Three Musketeers by Alexandra Dumas. 38. How, without encommending himself, Athos procures his equipment. D'Artagnan was so completely bewildered that, without taking any heed of what might become of Kitty, he ran at full speed across half Paris and did not stop till he came to Athos's door. The confusion of his mind, the terror which spurred him on, the cries of some of the patrol who started in pursuit of him, and the hooting of the people who, notwithstanding the early hour, were going to their work, only made him precipitate his course. He crossed the court ran up the two flights to Athos's apartment and knocked at the door enough to break it down. Grimaud came, rubbing his half-open eyes to answer this noisy summons, and D'Artagnan sprang with such violence into the room as nearly to overturn the astonished lackey. In spite of his habitual silence, the poor lad this time found his speech. "'Aloa there,' cried he. "'What do you want, you strumpet? What's your business here, you hussy?' D'Artagnan threw off his hood and disengaged his hands from the folds of the cloak. At sight of the mustaches and the naked sword, the poor devil perceived he had to deal with a man. He then concluded it must be an assassin. Help! Murder! Help! cried he. Hold your tongue, you stupid fellow, said the young man. I am D'Artagnan. Don't you know me? Where is your master? You, Monsieur D'Artagnan? cried Grimaud. Impossible. Grimaud, said Athos, coming out of his apartment in a dressing gown. Grimaud, I thought I heard you permitting yourself to speak. Ah, uh, monsieur, it is silence. Grimaud contented himself with pointing D'Artagnan out to his master with his finger. Athos recognized his comrade, and phlegmatic as he was, he burst into a laugh which was quite excused by the strange masquerade before his eyes. Petticoats falling over his shoes, sleeves tucked up, and mustaches stiff with agitation. Don't laugh, my friend, cried D'Artagnan. For heaven's sake, don't laugh, for upon my soul it's no laughing matter. And he pronounced these words with such a solemn air, and with such a real appearance of terror that Athos eagerly seized his hand, crying, Are you wounded, my friend? How pale you are! No, but I have just met with a terrible adventure. Are you alone, Athos? Parbleu, whom do you expect to find with me at this hour? Well, well. And D'Artagnan rushed into Athos's chamber. Come, speak, said the latter, closing the door and bolting it, that they might not be disturbed. Is the king dead? Have you killed the cardinal? You are quite upset. Come, come, tell me. I'm dying with curiosity and uneasiness. Athos, said D'Artagnan, getting rid of his female garments and appearing in his shirt. Prepare yourself to hear an incredible and unheard of story. Well, but put on this dressing gown first, said the musketeer to his friend. D'Artagnan donned the robe as quickly as he could, mistaking one sleeve for the other, so greatly was he still agitated. Well, said Athos. Well, replied D'Artagnan, bending his mouth to Athos's ear and lowering his voice. My lady is marked with the fleur-de-loup upon her shoulder. Ah, cried the musketeer, as if he had received a ball in his heart. Let us see, said D'Artagnan, are you sure that the other is dead? The other, said Athos, in so stifled a voice that D'Artagnan scarcely heard him. Yes, she of whom you told me one day at Amiens. Athos uttered a groan and let his head sink on his hands. This is a woman of twenty-six or twenty-eight years. Fair, said Athos, is she not? Very. 
Blue and clear eyes of a strange brilliancy with black eyelids and eyebrows. Yes. Tall, well-made. She has lost a tooth next to the eye tooth on the left. Yes. The fleur-de-loup is small, rosy in color, and looks as if efforts had been made to efface it by the application of poultices. Yes. But you say she is English. She is called, my lady, but she may be French. Lord de Winter is only her brother-in-law. I will see her, D'Artagnan. Beware, Athos. Beware. You tried to kill her. She is a woman to return you the like and not to fail. She will not dare to say anything. That would be to denounce herself. She is capable of anything or everything. Did you ever see her furious? No, said Athos. A tigress. A panther. Ah, my dear Athos, I am greatly afraid I have drawn a terrible vengeance on both of us. D'Artagnan then related all. The mad passion of my lady and her menaces of death. You are right, and upon my soul I would give my life for a hair, said Athos. Fortunately, the day after tomorrow we leave Paris. We are going according to all probability to La Rochelle, and once gone, she will follow you to the end of the world, Athos, if she recognizes you. Let her then exhaust her vengeance on me alone. My dear friend, of what consequence is it if she kills me, said Athos? Do you, perchance, think I set any great store by life? There is something horribly mysterious under all this, Athos. This woman is one of the cardinal's spies, I'm sure of that. In that case, take care. If the cardinal does not hold you in high admiration for the affair of London, he entertains a great hatred for you. But as, considering everything, he cannot accuse you openly, and his hatred must be satisfied, particularly when it's a cardinal's hatred, take care of yourself. If you go out, do not go out alone. When you eat, use every precaution. Mistrust everything, in short, even your own shadow. Fortunately, said D'Artagnan, all this will be only necessary till after tomorrow evening, for when once with the army, we shall have, I hope, only men to dread. In the meantime, said Athos, I renounce my plan of seclusion, and wherever you go, I will go with you. You must return to the Rue des Fossiers. I will accompany you. But however near it may be, replied D'Artagnan, I cannot go thither in this guise. That's true, said Athos, and he rang the bell. Grimaud entered. Athos made him a sign to go to D'Artagnan's residence and bring back some clothes. Grimaud replied by another sign that he understood perfectly and set off. All this will not advance your outfit, said Athos, for, if I am not mistaken, you have left the best of your apparel with my lady, and she will certainly not have the politeness to return it to you. Fortunately, you have the sapphire. The jewel is yours, my dear Athos. Did you not tell me it was a family jewel? Yes, my grandfather gave 2,000 crowns for it, as he once told me. It formed part of the nuptial present he made his wife, and it is magnificent. My mother gave it to me, and I, full as I was, instead of keeping the ring as a holy relic, gave it to this wretch. Then, my friend, take back this ring to which I see you attach much value. I take back the ring after it has passed through the hands of that infamous creature? Never. That ring is defiled, D'Artagnan. Sell it, then. Sell a jewel which came from my mother. I vow I should consider it a profanation. Pledge it, then. You can borrow at least a thousand crowns on it. With that sum, you can extricate yourself from your present difficulties. And when you are full of money again, you can redeem it and take it back cleansed from its ancient stains, as it will have passed through the hands of usurers. Athos smiled. You are a capital companion, D'Artagnan, said he. Your never-failing cheerfulness raises poor souls in affliction. Well, let us pledge the ring, but upon one condition. What? 
There shall be 500 crowns for you and 500 crowns for me. Don't dream it, Athos. I don't need the quarter of such a sum. I, who am still only in the guards, and by selling my saddles I shall procure it. What do I want? A horse for Planchet, that's all. Besides, you forget that I have a ring likewise, to which you attach more value, it seems, than I do to mine. At least, I've thought so. Yes, for in any extreme circumstance, it might not only extricate us from some great embarrassment, but even a great danger. It is not only a valuable diamond, but it is an enchanted talisman. I don't at all understand you, but I believe all you say to be true. Let us return to my ring, or rather to yours. You shall take half the sum that will be advanced upon it, or I will throw it into the scene, and... I doubt, as was the case with polycrates, whether any fish will be sufficiently complacent to bring it back to us. Well, I will take it then, said D'Artagnan. At this moment, Grimaud returned, accompanied by Planchet. The latter, anxious about his master and curious to know what had happened to him, had taken advantage of the opportunity and brought the garments himself. D'Artagnan dressed himself, and Athos did the same. When the two were ready to go out, the latter made Grimaud the sign of a man taking aim and the lackey immediately took down his musketoon and prepared to follow his master. They arrived without accident at the Rue des Fossiers. Bonacieux was standing at the door and looked at D'Artagnan hatefully. Make haste, dear lodger, said he. There is a very pretty girl waiting for you upstairs, and you know women don't like to be kept waiting. That's Kitty, said D'Artagnan to himself and darted into the passage. Sure enough, upon the landing leading to the chamber and crouching against the door, he found the poor girl all in a tremble. As soon as she perceived him, she cried, You have promised your protection. You have promised to save me from her anger. Remember, it is you who have ruined me. Yes, yes, to be sure, Kitty, said D'Artagnan. Be at ease, my girl, but what happened after my departure? How can I tell, said Kitty. The lackeys were brought by the cries she made. She was mad with passion. There exists no imprecation she did not pour out against you. Then I thought she would remember it was through my chamber you had penetrated hers, and that then she would suppose I was your accomplice. So I took what little money I had and the best of my things, and I got away. Poor dear girl, but what can I do with you? I am going away the day after tomorrow. Do what you please, Monsieur Chevalier. Help me out of Paris. Help me out of France. I cannot take you, however, to the siege of La Rochelle, said D'Artagnan. No, but you can place me in one of the provinces with some lady of your acquaintance, in your own country, for instance. My dear little love, in my country the ladies do without chambermaids. But stop, I can manage your business for you. Planchet, go and find Aramis. Request him to come here directly. We have something very important to say to him. I understand, said Athos, but why not Porthos? I should have thought that his duchess... Oh, Porthos's duchess is dressed by her husband's clerks, said D'Artagnan, laughing. Besides, Kitty would not like to live in the Rue aux Ars, isn't it so, Kitty? I do not care where I live, said Kitty, provided I am well concealed and nobody knows where I am. Meanwhile, Kitty, when we are about to separate and you are no longer jealous of me... Monsieur Chevalier, far off or near, said Kitty, I shall always love you. Where the devil will Constancy niche itself next, murmured Athos. And I also, said D'Artagnan, I also. I shall always love you, be sure of that. But now answer me. I attach great importance to the question I am about to put to you. Did you never hear talk of a young woman who was carried off one night? There now, oh, Monsieur Chevalier, do you love that woman still? No, no, it is one of my friends who loves her, Monsieur Athos, this gentleman here. I? 
cried Athos, with an accent like that of a man who perceives he is about to tread upon an adder. You to be sure, said D'Artagnan, pressing Athos's hand. You know the interest we both take in this poor little Madame Bonacieux. Besides, Kitty will tell nothing, will you, Kitty? You understand, my dear girl, continued D'Artagnan, she is the wife of that frightful baboon you saw at the door as you came in. Oh my God, you remind me of my fright. If he should have known me again. How? Know you again? Did you ever see that man before? He came twice to my ladies. That's it? About what time? Why, about fifteen or eighteen days ago. Exactly so. And yesterday evening he came again. Yesterday evening? Yes, just before you came. My dear Athos, we are enveloped in a network of spies. And do you believe he knew you again, Kitty? I pulled down my hood as soon as I saw him, but perhaps it was too late. Go down, Athos. He mistrusts you less than me, and see if he be still at his door. Athos went down and returned immediately. He is gone, said he, and the house door is shut. He has gone to make his report and to say that all the pigeons are at this moment in the dovecots. Well then, let us all fly, said Athos, and leave nobody here but Planchet to bring us news. A minute. Aramis, whom have we sent for? That's true, said Athos, we must wait for Aramis. At that moment, Aramis entered. The matter was all explained to him, and the friends gave him to understand that among all his high connections, he must find a place for Kitty. Aramis reflected for a minute and then said, coloring, Will it be really rendering you a service, D'Artagnan? I shall be grateful to you all my life. Very well. Madame de Bois-Tracy asked me for one of her friends who resides in the provinces, I believe, for a trustworthy maid. If you can, my dear D'Artagnan, answer for Mademoiselle. Oh, Monsieur, be assured that I shall be entirely devoted to the person who will give me the means of quitting Paris. Then, said Aramis, this falls out very well. He placed himself at the table and wrote a little note which he sealed with a ring and gave the billet to Kitty. And now, my dear girl, said D'Artagnan, you know that it is not good for any of us to be here. Therefore, let us separate. We shall meet again in better days. And whenever we find each other, in whatever place it may be, said Kitty, you will find me loving you as I love you today. Dicers, oaths, said Athos, while D'Artagnan went to conduct Kitty downstairs. An instant afterward, the three young men separated, agreeing to meet again at four o'clock with Athos and leaving Planchet to guard the house. Aramis returned home, and Athos and D'Artagnan busied themselves about pledging the sapphire. As the Gascon had foreseen, they easily obtained 300 pistoles on the ring. Still further, the Jew told them that if they would sell it to him, as it would make a magnificent pendant for earrings, he would give 500 pistoles for it. Athos and D'Artagnan, with the activity of two soldiers and the knowledge of two connoisseurs, hardly required three hours to purchase the entire equipment of the musketeer. Besides, Athos was very easy and a noble to his fingers' ends. When a thing suited him, he paid the price demanded without thinking to ask for any abatement. D'Artagnan would have remonstrated at this, but Athos put his hand upon his shoulder with a smile, and D'Artagnan understood that it was all very well for such a little Gascon gentleman as himself to drive a bargain, but not for a man who had the bearing of a prince. The musketeer met with a superb Andalusian horse, black as jet, nostrils of fire, legs clean and elegant, rising six years. He examined him and found him sound and without blemish. They asked a thousand livres for him. He might perhaps have been bought for less, but while D'Artagnan was discussing the price with the dealer, Athos was counting out the money on the table. Grimaud had a stout, short Picard cob, which cost 300 livres. 
But when the saddle and arms for Grimaud were purchased, Athos had not a sou left of his 150 pistoles. D'Artagnan offered his friend a part of his share, which he should return when convenient. But Athos only replied to this proposal by shrugging his shoulders. How much did the Jew say he would give for the sapphire if he purchased it, said Athos. 500 pistoles? That is to say, 200 more. 100 pistoles for you and 100 pistoles for me. Well now, that would be a real fortune to us, my friend. Let us go back to the Jews again. What? Will you? This ring would certainly only recall very bitter remembrances. Then we shall never be masters of 300 pistoles to redeem it, so that we really should lose 200 pistoles by the bargain. Go and tell him the ring is his, D'Artagnan, and bring back the 200 pistoles with you. Reflect, Athos. Ready money is needful for the present time, and we must learn how to make sacrifices. Go, D'Artagnan, go. Grimaud will accompany you with his musketoon. A half hour afterward, D'Artagnan returned with the 2,000 livres, and without having met with any accident. It was thus Athos found at home resources which he did not expect. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. All of the links for our show are down in the show notes. We are part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you ever wondered what inspired your favorite classic novelists to write their stories, what was happening in their lives or the world at the time, check out Bite at a Time Books, Behind the Story, Tuesdays wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow while we take the next bite of The Three Musketeers.